Good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone out this morning. It's a great day to be alive and a great day to learn more about God and to worship Him for who He is. If you have a Bible this morning, I encourage you to take it out and to open up to Proverbs, the sixth chapter. Proverbs chapter 6. We are continuing in our study of the book of Proverbs. If you're visiting with us, we have been focused on the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, which serves as the first main section. Some people call it the first half of the book of Proverbs. And the picture that is given, the setting for these first nine chapters is that of a father with his mother um, teaching their son and teaching their son about life. And these are practical principles of wisdom. We see the importance, the value placed on wisdom, the nature of wisdom, that it is protective in nature. We see the source of wisdom, which comes from the mouth of God, from the Word of God. And we see some stern warnings as the son is attempting to navigate the treacherous waters of life. Last week we finished up chapter 5, and chapter 5 we saw again the warning, the clear message, warning against adultery and the adulterous woman. This was the second time in five chapters that we've seen this come up already. Back in chapter 2, we saw Lady Folly and the adulterous woman introduced. And here again, and this will not be the last time that we read about the adulterous woman, the uh, Solomon and the father here in Proverbs has a lot more to say before we get to the end of chapter 9. So a pretty clear message. And of course, the practical advice to stay away from that situation is uh, verse 8 of chapter 5, keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. <clears throat> and as we've seen with every sin that has been warned against on the path of folly, that there are consequences. And that that is absolutely a part of wisdom is understanding that our behavior is connected to consequence. There are consequences for our actions, both for the good and the bad. So be careful what, what we do and, and who we um, engage in activities with. And we see in chapter 5 that the consequence of adultery was death. But that death was brought on by the own doing of the individual that engaged in this activity. Verse 23, he dies for lack of discipline. Because of his great folly, he is led astray. So it's not the Lord that is condemning or sending this individual down the wrong path that leads to death and ultimately to hell, but it is of our own doing. Our own iniquities ensnare us and hold us in the cords of sin. And we talked about the great significance and importance and great lesson to be gained from verse 23 and all of Proverbs is discipline. And that that idea of being a disciple carries with it this idea of discipline within itself. So a lot to learn there. And the discipline as a principle will segue very nicely into chapter 6. We're going to continue 
and to bring up different types of folly. And these are practical situations. These are real life situations that can easily happen to anyone. And here are practical ways of delivering ourselves from these situations. And so we, before we get too much further, let's go to God in a word of prayer. <clears throat> Dear God, our most holy Father in heaven, hallowed be thy great and glorious name. Lord, we are thankful to be able to assemble here at this place. We are thankful to call you our God. We're thankful for the light of a new day and the opportunity that is before us to strive to enter the straight gate and strive to conform ourselves more into the image of your Son, our King, that you have set on your holy hill of Zion. We are mindful this morning of Jesus, of his sacrifice that he made on our behalf, and for his resurrection and the great hope that lies therein for heaven. We pray that you would impart your wisdom to us as individuals and as a collective group here this morning, that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our ears and our minds to hear your truth and to rightly apply it to our everyday life so that we may be a blessing to the world around us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Okay, chapter 6, we introduced last week, but I'm just going to go ahead and read this first section, the first five verses, and, uh, and then we'll just, we'll take it from there. So, chapter 6, my son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor." Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Okay, so the first type of folly that is mentioned here is that of a financial folly, financial foolishness. And I think last week we just talked about the, the situation and what putting up security for your neighbor. What, what did we say that? What's the situation here? What are we talking about? Some versions say surety. Right, so you mentioned last week, I believe, kind of like co-signing a loan. Um, you have made yourself liable for another person's debt. And what are some issues with that? You know, we don't think of co-signing on a loan as necessarily an evil thing. And maybe even we think of it as a, a good thing or a charitable thing. What, what's the problem here? Why is this a trap? Person needs to be a person of integrity, and you believe that they have 
Okay? So, so an issue may be how well do you know the person that you are co-signing for or putting a pledge up for? It says here that he's a stranger. So the picture given is that you don't know this individual and you don't know their character and therefore what are you doing? You know, this is, you're putting yourself in a bad situation. This is a financial trap. But why is it a trap? If you're co-signing for someone and they engage in foolish behavior, whatever the case may be, and, they, and the bank calls the note, they don't have the money, they come to you, what's the danger? What's the trap? Mara? Your trust is in the person to do the right thing. It's not necessarily in God or our Right, so you're, you're trusting that the other person is going to um, have integrity and to do the right thing and to work and pay this debt off, but... The risk is you would lose, you could lose your own family and your own home and your own families because you can't. Right, yeah, and I, and I think that's, that's the danger, right? It's, we've got to be honest about where we are and if we are to be snared in the words of our mouth, remember, we made the pledge. Um, so the stranger defaults on the loan, the bank comes to us, but we didn't have the money to begin with. So that's the trap. So don't engage in putting up security for your neighbor when you don't have the money yourself. That, that's foolishness. Um, because even if this person feels that they have the money to pay, Today, for another person's debt, what's the problem? What's the issue? Where are we putting the trust that we're going to be able to pay this other person's debt uh, later down the road? What's, what's the problem there? What's that? Yeah, it's, it's godly wisdom. We've, we've talked about it in these first several chapters. Um, godly wisdom would teach us to have prudence. You know, from chapter 1, we've talked about that, to give prudence to the simple. Prudence, foresight, look into the future, think about what you're doing. And just because we may have money today does not mean that we're going to have money tomorrow. Uh, just because we can pay for somebody's debt today and we feel good about our financial standing, that could all be gone. And we don't know when that time is going to come. So, uh, yes, sir. You know, the verse that says, I'm going to go into another city and I'm going to buy and sell. And, and, and it says, you don't know if you're going to be a buyer Right. So, you know, we are presuming when we co-sign for somebody else, that we don't know what, what providence is going to bring or what. So, I think it's being presumptive that God's going to take care of me no matter what. And Absolutely. Yeah, it's being presumptive about a future of which we cannot control. And, and you bring up James, and that's a great point. Don't go boasting about tomorrow 
because you don't know what tomorrow may bring. Uh, this is reminding of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we see Solomon says, Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those who, with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. All right, so the, the picture given is to, we are to work and control as much as we can within the bounds of, of what's in front of us. But at the same time, there are many things in our lives that are outside of the bounds of our control. And that's wisdom. Alan? Yes. Yes, the Lord has given us minds and the ability to rationalize and make good decisions. The Lord has offered wisdom from his word. That's what we're talking about in Proverbs. Uh, but with that, we've got to rightly apply that wisdom and to make wise decisions um, with, with what we've been given. So the outcome Again, dependent on this other individual of which you don't know that well, and the outcome also dependent on your own financial future. And again, if you think about wisdom and the protective nature, the father and the mother are trying to get the son to make productive and protective decisions on their own. So the son one day, if this comes up, don't let this happen to you. You don't have to let this happen to you. Observe that this has already happened. This is wisdom that is generational and been passed down from, to you. Um, <clears throat> don't, don't fall into this trap. And it is a trap. And so what's the counter to this? <laughs> don't do it. Yeah, yeah. So the, the counter would be Financial wisdom and godly wisdom applied to our financial life would be to take accountability and to take responsibility, to take as much control as we possibly can on our own, on our own finances and where those are going to lead us down the road. Uh, does that make sense, Mr. Ken? Yeah, it trickles down. Yeah, absolutely. There is that. There's always that. You don't outgrow. Think about how big the riches are and ask somebody. Right. Yeah, that, that's maybe a Proverbs in a nutshell. So, <laughs> um, and Mr. Ken, you have a great point. Sin is destructive. The path of folly is destructive not only for yourself, for all of those around you. Uh, if you think about chapter 5 and the warning against adultery, <clears throat> adultery doesn't just ruin your life. Adultery ruins the lives of all of those around you. 
And years later, it says at the end of the life you groan, even after you're dead, people will remember that you are in an adulterous situation. And your kids are never going to forget that you are in an adulterous situation. Sin is staining. And sin is incredibly destructive. And, and it's a great point. The ruin is not only for ourselves and our path, but for those around us. Uh, rather, to the counter, we are to be a blessing to, to the world and not to, um, not to be a stumbling block to those around us. What about verses uh, 3 to 5? What's, uh, what's the message here? try to get your neighbor to pay, and then if they don't pay, you're going to work, and you're going to still hear deliver from that person that debt. Yeah, so a sense of urgency. Uh, you have to make this right. You have to get out of the situation. We've talked about rest and sleep and how God wants peace for us in our lives, for us to sleep well. But here he says in verse 4, don't sleep. You need to get out of the situation. This is priority, number one. Okay, some versions in verse 3 says, humble yourself um, and go to your neighbor. So don't, whatever you do, get out of the situation and save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and the bird from the hand of the fowler. So this is absolutely a trap. This is incredibly destructive. And save yourself. Yes, ma'am. trying to get your neighbor to, re to release you from that. I think ultimately, if your neighbor does not release you from that, you have no choice because you get your word and you're going to have to do it to your own hurt. He's telling you how to stay out of the situation. But it's not, you know, if, if your neighbor does not release you from that, I know there are many other passages that say, you do what you said. Right. And, and with that, you know, verse 2, caught in the words of your mouth. And, and we've talked so many times already just the significance of our words. Um, the path of wisdom begins with words. The path of folly begins with words. Wisdom comes from the mouth of God, the word of God, and that our words are incredibly important. There is power in words. And to be careful what we say. Any other observations? Yes, ma'am. One more place is the scripture about going in the bed. You know, you have to be careful. Why would you go into bed for someone else, which is essentially what you're saying right. that you would do, when you really shouldn't even be doing that for yourself? And then you look at the next section of verses, and it shows you what you should be doing. Not being greedy, but Right. Yeah, and that's a great point, and, and that's the beauty of Proverbs and Hebrew poetry. This, this is, there are deeper meanings here that are obviously would apply, like don't go into debt for yourself if you don't have the money to pay it. That's foolishness. Um, that's not stated here, but it is absolutely implied. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. So it's a great point. Yes, sir. One of the other principles here is that in lots of places as well, see that God says lend without interest. Um, if you, if you, 
where it says that if you, if you lend to a brother, don't expect anything in return. The real principle here is if you have someone that, a friend or a brother or sister that's in need, and you have the means, you lend them the money and don't expect anything in return. Don't go in debt to help them out. It's really the principle. If you don't have the means to help them, then leave it at that. You don't have the means to help them. Right. Yeah, be honest with yourself. Um, back in chapter 3, we talked about that and how to, how to deal with your neighbor. If your neighbor comes to you and needs help and you've got it with you, give it to them and help them. But if you don't, um, don't fool yourself, don't deceive yourself, um, and just tell them, hey, I wish I could help you, but I can't. Maybe that's why uh, verse 3, a lot of versions say humble yourself. Um, just, just have that humility and realize your place and realize that the, the future is, is outside of your control. So, it, it emphasizes the severity of going into debt. To, to comparing it to a gazelle that is being hunted yep. or a bird that is not to be shot out of the air. You gotta do everything you can. First, get yourself out of that situation. Yeah, that's a, a strong warning and, and a challenge, and certainly ancient Israel to, to today, debt is a problem, and we need to be wise in how we handle it. Continuing on, this, this next section here, verse 6 through 11, we see uh, the next practical situation go to the ant O sluggard consider her ways and be wise without having any chief officer or ruler she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest how long will you lie there O sluggard when will you arise from your sleep a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If you are um, if you are studying this with someone who was not familiar with Scripture, you think they'd have any questions for you in verse six? Anything kind of different about this that someone might not be expecting? Maybe seems out of place if you weren't thinking about it through the right lens. People that may not believe in God like in Romans, you know, God is evident in everything that He designed. And everything that He designed has these. You can just get out and look at the stars and mm-hmm. learn the things of God. So, He's saying way out there, but look at way you look down. It shows that there is organization, there's dedication, there is. A lot of times, man, you get a bunch of people together and see, you can't do it. There's so many lessons. You you hit the nail on the head. Uh, Go to the ant. Okay, someone who's not familiar with wisdom or, or God's word may say, what are we, why are we talking about ants? I thought we were talking about, you know, Jesus or, or living our lives in some certain way. But again, Proverbs chapter 30, and this comes up in the words of Agur. 
four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. Rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. And the lizard you can take in your hands, yet it's in king's palaces. It talks about the lion. And Brother Wayne hit the nail on the head. Um, there is divine order in all of God's creation. A few chapters back, in chapter 3, again, verse 19 and 20, we read that the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens, and by his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. And back in chapter 3, we were wondering, the question was, why, is this verse, why are these verses here? It seemed out of place. But yet, we see that God's wisdom is everywhere. It is pervasive. It is all around us. And back from the very beginning, chapter 1 and verse 7 of Proverbs, the, the key cornerstone verse for this entire collection of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So go to the end. Realize that despite human effort, and despite human attempt at wisdom, there are many, many, many things that we cannot explain. We can't explain why an ant, how they communicate and the things they do. We can't explain the stars and galaxies. There is order, and by wisdom, God created this universe. And, and so there's a lesson there. There's a message. You know, Romans chapter 1, God's wisdom is evident. It's all around us, and it's all the time. And so we are with the, without excuse. In Proverbs chapter 1, we saw Lady Wisdom crying out at the city gates. Okay, at the center of public life. God is everywhere, and God is all the time. And with that we are to be observant of everything around us because we can learn something about God from the biggest and the smallest things in life. Go to the ant. Consider her ways. There's, there's wisdom there. The ant is exceedingly wise. And... Right. And it should be obvious to the population. Like, right. That there is there's a job to be done, and it's not building a family, but it, it's building a family and the family. Right. And, and the, the wisdom teachers in ancient Israel, they weren't questioning whether God created the earth or not. It, it was self-evident. And they realized that there was a divine order to their creation. And, and I had a, had a guy, uh, actually a neighbor, tell me yesterday, he's been a Bible teacher a long time, and he heard a quote the other day, and I thought it was so applicable. He said that wi wisdom is living with the grain of creation. Wisdom is living with the grain of creation. You think about wood or steaks or whatever, you're cutting with the grain. Because cutting against the grain 
is awfully hard and life is already hard with the grain of creation. And it's, it's really opened my eyes to the, this, this section here and what we're talking about because it's the fear of the Lord. Why do we fear the Lord? Well, we're in awe because he created everything around us and his wisdom is all around us. And realizing our place before the throne of God, which is that of a, a very humble, lowly state, that's wisdom and that's the beginning. We have to have that disposition if we're going to understand these things. So wisdom can be learned through observation of life. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. What's the message there? Mara. Right, yeah, self-starter, self-motivator. Uh, we could check our own lives against this. Uh, are, are people constantly having to nag us to do something? Well, that's, that's not wise. We need to, to take heed. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How does that apply to or connect to the previous uh, example we just read, the financial folly? You think of a connection? Yeah, planning, prudence, again. Preparing bread in summer and gathering food in harvest. Why? Well, winter time is coming, and the ant knows that. Well, in our financial lives, we don't know when the winter time is going to be. And we don't know if we're in a time of summer right now or a time of harvest, but you know, the old saying, make hay while the sun shines, because, you know, winter time is coming. There's going to come a time where we may not have the opportunity to, to set aside and prepare for our lives. So there's real wisdom here. There's prudence. Prepare the bread in summer. Gather your food and harvest. But in verse 9, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? How does that read to you? What, what's, the, what's the father trying to tell the son or, or, or warn against here? What tool is used to motivate the sluggard? If you're going to be lazy, you will suffer the consequences. And that, that is very practical advice. There's a fork in the road. Which, which manner of life are you going to, to take? Um, I was thinking of shaming. Uh, we see that many times throughout Proverbs. 
how long are you going to lie there, you sluggard? You know, he's saying, get up. He, he's, he's shaming this individual because it is a shameful thing to just lay around in bed all day. And there's wisdom there. But yet in verse 10, uh, some translations have, have this as a response to what the guy just said. But a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Is the person saying that they're never going to do it? They're not outright refusing to work. They're just saying, ah, just a little more sleep. Just a little more slumber. You know, just let me rest a little bit. Procrastination. I'll get to it one day. But as we know in life, when people procrastinate, they never do it. Oh, I'll, you know, just give me a little more sleep, a little more time to do this project or that. You'll never do it. Because you keep putting it off. And as Brother Chip said, poverty is going to come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And that does not sound good at all. And you're not going to plan for when somebody's going to rob you. And you're like, how did this happen? But it happens all at once. All the cards, you know, you can project or you can shuffle things around for a little bit. But all of a sudden, all the cards are going to fall. There's no choice. You're, you're going to fall down to Right. Great point. Um, so... Two examples here of folly, and both we see that foolish behavior will lead to poverty. Uh, whereas on the counter, we have seen already in Proverbs that with wisdom, there are riches. You know, in wisdom's left hand were riches and honor. And again, these are generalities. This is not to say that if you follow the path of wisdom that you will be rich. Um, that is not an absolute, that's not a guarantee, but in general, generally speaking, the choices of the wise person will lead them down a path that is more productive and more successful. Any more comments on that section there? That's a, that's a fun section. Yes, sir? Yeah, I was just going to say, um, it seems like the person that's being addressed here is somebody who is uh, taking this rest because they've they're taking their confidence and putting their faith in what they've got stored up, right? Right. So they're, um, they're, they're resting because they're thinking, well, I've got all, it, it's similar to the, the rich man who stored up his wealth and his farms. But, but a lot of times people uh, think that if I can just get a certain amount of money, that I can, like, be good best. But once, once you attain something, then there's always someone or something coming to take it. So that's kind of what I think is being spoken to here. Like, I think a lot of times people can read this and be like, well, I just got to work constantly. Right. Rest. I don't think that's really what the verse is saying. We've all got to rest. We've all got to sleep. But we can't, uh, just because we've stored something up, we can't think that, oh, now I'm set. I can put my confidence in that. That's not where our confidence should be. No. That's a great point. Where is our confidence? Where is our trust? And, and as we've seen, the wise person would say that the Lord is my confidence and the Lord is, is my trust. So, great comments there. And then we'll continue on. This next um, few sections here are the third type of folly that is given from verse 12 to verse 19. Uh, the Bible says, A worthless person, a wicked man goes about with crooked speech winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devices evil, 
continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. Okay. So an evil, worthless person, a wicked man. What do we learn about this type of individual? What are some characteristics of this person? Always looking for weak points to cause decision or, you know, to cause trouble. Okay. Always looking to cause uh, division, struggle. What else do we learn about the, just the character traits of this person? Sneaking. Uh, you think about Lady, uh, Lady Folly and the adulterous woman, okay, with smooth words. Um, we saw back in chapter one the, in the allurement and the enticement of sinners that they were always devising a plan. They're always scheming to ambush somebody who wasn't expecting it. So everything about this individual is just trying to convince people that they're not a bad guy. Okay, that they, uh, they have crooked speech, they wink with their eyes, point with their fingers. Um, someone who we may think of as uh, slick, um, which is a, an awful word um, to be called if you've ever had that happen. Um, trying to convince you that he's somebody that he is not. Okay, so be aware of this person. Don't be this person, but be aware that this kind of person is out there and have the wisdom, again, observation, that if you see an individual like this, to stay away. Okay, know where their path is going. Know what their mind and their heart is set to do. Uh, and, and everything about this individual, like the adulterous woman, it's all surface level. Okay, if you get any deeper than surface level, and it is just awful. Um, evil is in their heart. And, and again, the consequence, what is inevitably going to happen on that path is calamity. It's disaster. He's going to be broken beyond healing. Okay, so don't stay away from that, that individual. And we see verse 16 to 19 kind of, um, again, uh, reflects these previous couple verses here. There are six things that the Lord hates. Um, again, if you're studying this with somebody who is not familiar with the Bible, you think they'd have any questions about that? Six things that, that the Lord hates. Thought the Lord was love. <laughs> Thought the Lord was love. What do you mean that God hates? I thought God loved everybody. I thought that's what all of this was all about. Acceptance, love. Yes, ma'am. It's not the person that God hates, it's the action that he hates. What can become of these actions? No, that's right. That's right, yeah. But the idea here is that love 
uh, from First John, you know, God is love. Love and hate go hand in hand. And you absolutely, everyone has both. And God certainly has the capacity to love. He is love. But there are things that the Lord hates. And that's not a contradiction at all. Seven that are an abomination to him. So even worse. Okay, and he again goes back and describes um, the individual that we just, just talked about. Haughty eyes, lying tongue. Okay, a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. And a false witness who breathes out lies. One who sows discord among the brothers. And again, what's the inverse of this? You know, time and again, you know, Proverbs we talk about means a comparison. So comparing the path of wisdom and the path of folly, if this is folly, then what, what should our lives look like as a wise person? Humble, loving, um, encouraging, all the positive things. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's exactly the opposite. Um, if you think of... Um, Paul, Philippians chapter 4, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4. Um, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. So instead of sowing discord among the brethren, we are commanded and charged to unify and to help bring unity and peace among the brethren. Chip? I think it's about the scriptures where, where, where some of these things exhibit themselves and how God might have felt. It clearly says that he hates divorce. Yes. That's not on this list. Not an exhaustive list. But it is on this list. Right. Because bearing false witness is, what, is why he hates divorce. The reason he hates divorce is because you made a vow that you would that you are pledging your life to this other individual. And when you divorce, you break that vow. You're unfaithful to that vow. And in a way, you, you've borne false witness. You, you've made testimony, if you will, that I will be faithful to this individual for all of my life. And then you break that vow. That's why he hates divorce, because you put it aside so you break the vow so easily and put it aside. Think about the other one about bearing false witness. I can't imagine if this is what God says about false witnesses. What happened during the trial of the son? Those that came forward and they bore false witness. Right. And he ended up being crucified on a cross. It says here that God hates false witness, and I love what Sherry said that it's not the, it's not the people that he hates; it's the sin that they commit. Right. Even Christ died for those people. Right. Who bore false witness. So these are not unforgivable. It takes change. It takes repentance. It takes a different life, and God will forgive. Great comment. Thank you for your comments. Next week, we'll Lord willing pick up there and continue on.